0: Y'all, I am so excited. I'm probably going to have you do that one more time because God has answered our prayer that we have been praying for so long. And he is answering our prayers by using women in our community like Molly and Whitney and Maggie. So can we just clap it up one more time for God's provision. Yes. Yes. I'm so excited. I feel like, you know, Christmas Eve when you wake up and you're just like excited, actually Christmas morning. I'm excited for both. But as Bill said, um, today we are switching things up and doing things differently. And as we bring Women's History Month to a close, we want it to be intentional by not only celebrating but also amplifying the voices of women in this community. So what's gonna happen today is we're gonna do a five by five. And if you've never experienced one of those, what that means is you're going to hear from five different women for five minutes each. And as Bill said, we are in a series on the book of John and Jesus intentionally defines himself with several I am statements in the book of John. So the women that you hear from today, they're gonna be breaking down a specific I am statement, and I am excited, I'm trying to catch my breath, but before they come up here, would you join me as I pray over them and pray for our morning? Father, we are so thankful for your presence, We thank you for your provision in this season. We thank you, God, for how you are using women in this community. And Father, we don't take it lightly that we get to gather here together in person. It is such a gift. And Father, I pray no matter what happened this morning, no matter what happened yesterday or earlier in the week, that we would be present, that we would lean in. And God, I ask that you would speak through Molly, through Natalie, through Sue, through Julia, through Lauren, and God, as you speak through them, that you would speak directly to us in the ways that we need it. Holy Spirit, we say have your way. In Jesus' name, amen.
1: Jesus replied, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty.
2: All right. Good morning, Ascent. How are we doing? Good. Um, Well, if you don't know me or if I haven't met you, my name is Molly. Um, I have been attending Ascent for six years. I did um, four years when I went to CU, and then the last two years working here as an intern and then recently hired on. So Ascent just has a huge place in my heart, and I am so honored just to be here and speaking in front of all of you. Um, And today I'm speaking on Jesus, the I am statement of when he says, I am the bread of life. And so again, that verse is then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. And so if we go back and we look at the context of this scripture, right before this is when Jesus fed the 5,000. And so if you're not familiar with that story, It's one of Jesus' big miracles in the gospel that uh, he and his disciples are walking, and there's 5,000 people around him, huge, huge crowd that are all trying to get close to him. And Jesus wants to share a meal with them. And so all that they have is five small loaves of bread and two fish. and, And through the miracle and the power of Jesus, he is able to feed every single person there. And it says that there was an abundance left over. And so we see in this theory that bread is the most basic necessity of meals, um, that it was a main form of sustenance, that it was the main kind of core part of that meal. It was very essential. It gave them that sustenance. And that word sustenance means a provision or a nourishment. And just as it would have been unimaginable at this time to sustain life apart from bread, so too it was unimaginable to live a satisfying and sustaining life apart from Jesus. And so when Jesus says, I am the bread of life, what he is saying is that he is the thing that you are looking for to satisfy and to sustain you on this journey of life. And there's another place where bread is used as a key factor of the story, and it's all the way in Exodus in the Old Testament, uh, with Moses leading the Israelites through the wilderness for 40 years, and they're hungry, they're worn out, they are just feeling really down, they're wondering if they should turn back, and... God provides manna, or the bread from heaven, to keep them going and to keep them nourished on their journey. And so we see all throughout the Bible that bread is this essential piece, this essential theme. And so Jesus saying, I am the bread of life, is not just an accident. It means something. And again, in John chapter 6, if you keep reading, he repeats this multiple times. Again, he says, I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate manna in the wilderness, yet they died But here is the bread of life that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. And so like I said, he repeats this multiple times in the story in John. And just as manna found in the wilderness was bread from heaven, used to sustain the Israelites for those 40 years, Jesus is our bread from heaven. And he's used to sustain us for eternity. And just as bread is a form of sustenance, Jesus' disciples recognize that Jesus gives us our only true sustenance in that he never leaves us wanting. And so that word sustenance, again, means provision or nourishment, and there's another word that I want to define, and that is substance, which is the physical matter from which something is made. And so the bread of life is a substance that provides us sustenance. And Jesus is the thing, that substance, that provides our nourishment, that sustenance. And he does it to the point of abundance, which again we see when Jesus feeds the 5,000. And just as Jesus fed those 5,000 people, the five small loaves of bread, so much that they could have as much as they wanted, and there was still 12 baskets left over, we can look to Jesus not only to satisfy and sustain us, to leave us with an abundance of himself and if we go to jesus if we seek him if we look at him as our bread of life then he promises that we will never ever be left empty-handed
1: jesus spoke to the people once more and said i am the light of the world if you follow me you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life.
3: Hey, hey, I'm Natalie. My family and I have been a part of Ascent since the very beginning, since the very first meeting of talking about the vision of this place. Um, And we love calling this our home. This is our place to raise our kids and worship and find community, and we love it we get to talk about I am the light of the world. I love this scripture. It has been one that I have actually been um, sitting on a lot these last couple months. And it hasn't been because of the light piece, it's actually been because of the darkness. The scripture goes, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will walk in the light of life. And I know that being a part of this community, The darkness has felt heavy lately. It has been in our face. It's felt overwhelming. And at times, it has felt suffocating. And that's where I've come to the scripture and gone, okay, Lord, I need to focus in on the light. I am the light of the world. What does that mean? So let's talk about light. Light is all over the scriptures. From the very first book of the Bible in Genesis, where they say, let there be light All the way to the very end in Revelation, the last book of the Bible, the Lord is my light. God uses light all over, literally and metaphorically. And I think Jesus talks about light because it's something that we can all relate to. We all understand light and dark, right? It's kind of like when you are camping. And if you're not a camping person, that's okay. Maybe you've been in a dark, dark place at night where you can't see anything. Like there's no moon out. You don't have a headlamp. You don't have a flashlight. You don't have a cell phone with a light. It's just dark. And you can't see anything. And it's kind of freaky, too right? So then somebody lights up like a match or turns on a light, and your eyes are drawn to that light. Everyone wants to look at that light. That is Jesus. He is that light that we're drawn to. He illuminates the darkness. I love the word illuminates. Sometimes if you're ever reading scripture or you're reading a book and there's a word that pops out, Pay attention to it. Sometimes God has something for you with that word. And illuminate is one of those. I love that. He illuminates the darkness. And in that darkness, we are able to see, excuse me, in that light, we are able to see his love and his grace. We're able to see those things. One of the things I love, I love pictures or um, ways to just kind of connect scripture um, to, like, you know, life, (laughs) in general, um, is that back in the day of Jesus, and really all of the biblical times, um, they used to have to travel. People would travel at night sometimes because it was a lot cooler, um, or they just needed to get somewhere, and that was the time when they were going to travel. So it wasn't like they were walking down this nice little road, but they would often have to travel um, over these really rocky regions with big chunks of rock, and they would do like a switchback over a hill or, you know, over a low mountain, and they didn't have a flashlight, they didn't have batteries, they didn't have anything like that. So what they would do is they would light a clay lantern, and they would put it on the end. Of a pole and the lantern just had like oil in it or it had a cloth with oil and then they would light it Um, and they would put it on a long pole almost kind of like a shepherd's staff like something that would have a hook that would hold that lantern on there and they would put that light right in front of them and they would walk very slowly over those rocky regions and they were able to see the path right If you've ever heard of, I think it's Psalm 119 where it talks about the lamp is the light unto my feet, um, the light unto my path, I might have just totally screwed that up. But that's where that comes from, is that whole idea of this pole and this light. And what I love about that is that Jesus is that light. And he is saying, come follow me in this light. I will light up your path. Walk with me. If you run ahead, you're not going to be able to see, and you're going to fall on your face. At least that's what he likes to say to me, and that's what happens to me all the time. So, um, yeah, he lights up just enough so we can see our next step, and he's always with us because life is not an easy path to walk, as we all know, right? And we were never meant to walk it alone, never, never. Jesus invites us into the light. He invites us into that light to be loved and to be accepted by him for who we are and not what we do. He says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Let's walk in the light of Jesus together.
1: I am the Good Shepherd. The Good Shepherd sacrifices his life for the sheep.
4: Morning, family. My name is Sue Whitna, and I am one of the leaders for the Monday night women's Bible study at Ascent. This is Vinnie. If you live in Superior, you might recognize his winning smile and his rugged good looks, but if you don't live in Superior, you are wondering why on earth I have a llama on the big screen. Well, the answer is simple. It is not easy to find a herd of sheep or a shepherd anywhere in Superior. There is, however, a herd of goats, and these goats work hard in the summertime to help with weed control, In the areas of Rock Creek, those open spaces that are real weedy and rocky between the, you know, between the, we call them arroyos, but between the ridges of houses um, are lots of weeds, and these goats work hard to take care of that. If you live near any of one of these grassy open spaces like we do, you also know that we have more than a few coyotes, and the coyotes are why the goats need Vinny. Vinny is a guard llama. Turns out that llamas are instinctively alert and aware of their surroundings. If Vinny sees a coyote or even a dog that gets too close, he sends out an alarm hum that warns the goats, which immediately herd together. Then Vinny stands between the herd and the threat as a deterrent. He'll even kick or spit or run at the coyote if necessary. The one thing Vinny is not good at is feeding and caring for the goats. And that is why I'd like you to meet Emily McMurtry, of owner of Mutton Mowers, and the woman who loves, cares for, and knows all of these goats and her two guard llamas by name. In a 2020 article on the Loveland Reporter Herald, Emily said, I often refer to my goats as pasture puppies because I have some characters that will forever and always be like pets. Every goat has a name that fits their individual personality and background. I know their call, and they know me. I understand and love them all. Well, for instance, in this profile picture from Emily's mutton mower Facebook page, (laughs) Um, by the way, I love this picture. What's not to love about this picture? Emily currently owns about 55 or 60 goats. So I thought when I sent her a quick text and said, oh, you know, Emily, is there any chance you know the names of these goats? I thought she'd go, mm, I'm not sure. No, no, my phone goes ding, and she immediately says, oh yeah, from left to right, that would be Sugar, Dudley, Nana, and Beth. Well, like I said, or like Emily said earlier, Every goat has a name that fits their individual personality and background. Emily knows their call, and they know Emily. She understands and loves them all. So here's my question for you today. If Emily loves her goats this much, how much more does our good shepherd love and care for us? The Bible is full of references to shepherds and sheep, Sheep herding was a common occupation in the Old Testament, so people understood the unique relationship that shepherds had with their sheep. If you're not familiar with the Old Testament, there's a book in that that part of the Bible called Isaiah. I'd like to share a passage with you from Isaiah 40, where the image of a loving shepherd is used very specifically to describe the coming of our God to save us, and that this good news should be absolutely shouted from the mountaintops. Climb a high mountain, raise your voice, make it good and loud, Jerusalem. You're the preacher of good news. Speak loud and clear, don't be timid. And it looks like, nope, I'm there. <laughs> don't be timid. Tell the cities of Judah, look, you're God. Like a shepherd, he will care for his flock, gathering the lambs in his arms, hugging them as he carries them, leading the nursing ewes to good pasture. Well, this is a passage that all the Jewish people listening to Jesus in John 10 would have known well. They would have heard it in the temple from the time they were children, and they knew that it spoke of the coming of their Messiah, of salvation for the people of Israel. So when Jesus boldly says, I am the good shepherd, he is not saying that he is just a tender, loving guy. He is saying that he is the shepherd of Isaiah 40. God himself coming to bring salvation. Well, later in Isaiah 53.6, we read that the reason we need a shepherd. We read that the reason we need a shepherd is that all of us like sheep have strayed away. We have left God's paths to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. Well, that's me. I am both a sinner and a sheep gone astray. And the way it works for me is not that I intend to sin or to wander away. It's more that I'm drawn away by something that looks good to me. Maybe some blackberries I can see off in the distance, and so I wander away. And I don't have to wander very far to realize that I'm lost, that I'm caught in some brambles trying to reach those tasty blackberries, and I've lost sight of my shepherd. I can't hear his voice anymore. And in my lostness, I begin to question his goodness. As darkness descends, that moment of beginning to question his goodness, at least for me, has sometimes led to full-on angry questioning whether God is good, whether he even cares. In that state, however I get there, it's easy to forget that I have a shepherd that is unlike any other. And as I cry out in pain, with my woolly coat completely tangled up in the thorns of whatever bramble I've found myself in, my good shepherd comes looking for me. He comes to rescue me, to save me from the wolves that would seek to devour me in my lostness, to gently turn my face back to his, Look me in the eye and say, oh, sweet pea, I hear your cries for help. If only you could see how faithfully I have cared for you your whole life and how very, very much I love you. Then he carries me back to the fold where he bandages my wounds, speaks tenderly to me, holds me close. And reminds me that Jesus not only cares about saving me from the wolves that would seek to destroy me, but he actually died to save me. To pay for my wandering, my lostness, my sins, and to lay his life down to restore my relationship to him. That's John 10, 11. My good shepherd knows my nature. He knows my name. He knows I'm prone to wandering. He knows when I'm hurting. He knows my needs better than I do, and he's given me a way to know him as intimately as he knows me. Every minute that I spend in God's word, I get better at recognizing and following my shepherd's voice. This is where I see a shepherd that is good and just and merciful, that his love for me is unconditional and everlasting, that Jesus walks with me and cares for me in every circumstance he brings, or life brings. That Jesus comforts me and protects me. That my good shepherd gives me rest in green pastures. He renews my strength. He restores my soul. That he made me for relationship with him, and desires that I know and love him as deeply as he knows and loves me. That he sacrificed his very life so that I can live with him forever. That I have a very good, good shepherd. Jesus
1: told her, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live, even after dying.
5: What's up, friends? How's it going? Um, my name is Julia. I've been here at Ascent for about eight years with my family. Um, I'm a student down at CU Boulder, SCO um, And I have had the privilege of working with our middle and high school students. I currently lead freshman girls at Summit. Um, so this week I have the opportunity to talk about a verse in John chapter 11, verse 25. We just heard it when Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. I have learned in my walk in faith that there is so much purpose that God puts into scripture and the order of things that he lists in the Bible. And so I actually think that it's really important that we lean into the idea that resurrection is actually listed before life. Jesus says, I am the resurrection before he says, I am the life. Um, There's a wonderful footnote in the Passion Translation, I love that translation, Um, and it basically says that resurrection is the power to conquer death. This is a pretty straightforward idea, I feel like, it's pretty obvious, but I think it's important in terms of understanding the rest of what we're going to speak about today. So I want to share with you a verse, Um, this is one of my favorite chapters, it's found in Romans chapter 8, um, verse 10 through 11, if we can throw that up there. This is the Passion Translation, it says, now Christ lives his life in you. And even though your body may be dead because of the effects of sin, his life-giving spirit imparts life to you because you are fully accepted by God. Yes, God raised Jesus to life. And since God's spirit of resurrection lives in you, he will also raise your dying body to life by the same spirit that breathes life into you. The main takeaway from this verse that I have is the power of the resurrection is actually given to us as believers. It is given to us through the Holy Spirit to dwell within us when we take Jesus and we say, I want you to be my savior. However, I feel like it's often very easy for us to look at that verse and say, you know, that sounds great. Like, I love that, sounds beautiful. But if I actually sit in myself and I think about things, I don't feel like I have the power of this resurrection living in me. I don't feel like a Marvel superhero, I don't feel like I can conquer death. And so, honestly, if we look at ourselves, at least for me, I honestly think I don't feel powerful. I feel very overwhelmed in a lot of situations in my life, and I feel very ill-prepared for a lot of the things that come my way. So that leaves us asking, where, where is that disconnect? I want to be very vulnerable with you guys. Throughout most of my life, my confidence was rooted in how others perceived me, Um, It was rooted in how well I thought that I measured up to my standards or the standards that the world set for me. Um, In a recent season, I found myself in a rough relationship, a difficult mental health season, um, and I developed some anxiety and began having panic attacks. um, And a lot of insecurities that I thought that I had left in my past actually came back and started to pull me under, and I just felt that I was drowning. I remember a few months ago, I found myself in a Red Rocks, young adult worship service and the Lord brought me very literally to my knees Um, and I just remember sitting in that moment and I was like God where are you where are you in this moment why do I feel this way I want to share with you a verse that has been on my heart this week Um, it's in second Corinthians chapter 12 verse 9 this is Paul writing to the church in Corinth and it says but he this is Jesus speaking answered me my grace is always more than enough for you My power finds its full expression in your weakness. Other translations say his power is made perfect in our weakness. Guys, can I just tell you, we serve a powerful God, a loving God who absolutely finds so much joy in choosing the ones who don't have it all together. He loves using the people who are underprepared, the ones who struggle in their doubt, the ones who struggle in their faith, the ones who stand there and we say, I'm actually not in a good place right now. God loves to use that. And I don't know about you, that gives me so much hope, you guys. If we go back to that verse in 2 Corinthians, Paul goes on to say, so I will celebrate my weaknesses. For when I am weak, I sense more deeply the mighty power of Christ living within me. I feel like that's a very countercultural way to look at things. If we go back to John chapter 11, in that verse that we heard on the screen when I first came up when Jesus says, I am the resurrection and then the life. That theme of life is so prominent in the scripture. Jesus promises us life to the full. He promises us abundant life. But we have to recognize that that resurrection power comes first. We cannot have life to the full if we do not have that resurrection power first. I think it's so common for us to stand in our situations and go, God help. I am stuck, I don't know what to do, I need you to take me out of this situation or take this situation away from me. But I found in my life that when we actually change that prayer a little bit and I come to the Lord and I say, God, I have nothing. I am empty handed, I have no talent to bring to the situation. I have no skills, I don't have the knowledge. There's so many people who would fill this role so much better than I would. But if we stand in those moments and we say, God, would you actually use me? in my weakness, would you use that weakness? Would you bring your resurrection power through me? And would you fill me with all the fullness of your spirit that you promised to us, Lord? If we stand there and we pray that prayer, I believe that that's where abundant life actually comes in and fills us. That's where his promise rings true for us. Maybe you're in a place where you're struggling in your relationships. Maybe you find yourself in a situation at your job or in school, and you just say, Lord, I don't have what it takes to do this anymore. Maybe you're like me, you struggle with insecurities, anxiety, maybe you struggle with depression or anger. And I think if you sit in those moments and you say, God, this is my weakness, but I have faith that you will strengthen me within my weakness. I have the faith that you will bring your resurrection power in me. You will bring new life to me, Lord. I firmly believe that if we actually stand and we pray that prayer, that is where abundant life actually comes in and it fills us. We are filled with all the fullness of God. That Holy Spirit comes and acts within us. So my encouragement for you guys this morning, as we go into this next week, whatever it is you're dealing with, is to stand and make it a daily practice of coming to the Lord with empty hands, but saying, Lord, I have faith. Will you use me in my weakness? Will you bring your resurrection power to me? And will you use me? I believe that if we pray that prayer expectantly, that the Lord will be faithful, and he will bring that abundant life to you. That's my little spiel, guys. I'm done. Thank you.
1: (laughs) Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come
6: to the Father except through shout out to all my friends and family still tuned in online and here in the room my name is lauren a face you may not recognize but a voice you say aha she's the one that called and prayed for me all week as being a part of the proactive prayer team i had that opportunity i also get to pray with you if the spirit moves and you come to the stage left or right because I pray on the prayer team under Aisha Cox and I will say that I have been at Ascent almost 3 years now and I can also say that this feels like home to me and thank you for making me feel that way but I want to tell you something more importantly this morning is the person of Jesus that wants to bring all of us home to be with him that's where I'm gonna sit this morning that's what's wrecked me about John 14 6 that was up and spoken earlier so I want to tell you I love the community here because the heart of ascent is that we all enter in and we get to see Jesus and we get to see him more clearly I love that So this morning again, I'm going to say, let's read this phrase that Jesus has in the word. In John 14, it says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me. There is more than enough room in my father's home. And if this were not so, would I have told you? that I'm going to prepare a place for you. When everything in is ready, when everything is ready, I will come back to get you. (laughs) I love that promise of God. So that you will always be where I am and you know the way to where I'm going. And I love this Thomas, no, We don't know, Lord, Thomas said. We have no idea where you're going, so how can we know the way? And Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. In this statement that Jesus makes, he's establishing that knowing him is not only the ultimate meaning and fulfillment of life on earth, but the only way to really know the Father in heaven. And I'm also gonna lay that out there to you. Everyone is capable of knowing the truth. Can I get an amen? But anybody can say, I am the truth? I don't think so. (laughs) Jesus is the one that came from heaven to declare, I am the way, And I am the truth, and it rattled cages for him when he declared that on earth. But that's what he came to do, to illuminate us, to let us know what's really going on. (laughs) I love it. I love it. But I want to put it in context in John 13, 37, and 38. Jesus was having a conversation with his disciples, his friends that he walked this earth with, that he poured his life into. Do you have friends like that, that just give you everything they have, the best of them? And then they had the nerve to say, I'm leaving you now. I got to go. You're like, what? You feel like the air just got sucked out of the room. Are you kidding me? So I can relate to to the emotions that came up with the disciples in that room because they had to deal with Jesus saying repeatedly, I have to leave this world and you can't go with me. That's the part that upset me so much. We can't go with him. They're like, where are you going, Lord? We don't even have a clue. Jesus saw the anxiety building up. He saw the confusion. He saw the concerns in the room. And that's when he lovingly said to them and how he loved them from the beginning to the end. He said, I have to leave this earth, but don't you be troubled and don't you be afraid. I love that. He, he addressed the concern in the room. He had foxhole promises from Peter. Wait, what? Oh, no, you didn't say you were going to be leaving. I am going to follow you. I will lay my life, my life down for you. And Jesus, Jesus, the presence of the Father in the person of the Son, the divine image of the Father, corrects him, and he predicts, Peter, you're going to deny me. Three times, even before the sun comes up and the rooster crows. He said there was going to be someone in the room that was going to betray him. And yet he loved them. He looked at them and said, I've got to go now. I've got to leave this world. And I have to take care of business. And that's what wrecked me. The reality of what Jesus went through to protect us to reunite us to the Father. He had to leave this world. He had to go to die. And we, like Thomas, said, I need to know the next step, Lord. I need to know the length of the journey you want me to walk on. I I need to know when I turn. I need to know what's coming ahead. Is there a south wind or is there a tailwind? What's going to happen? Because do I turn my GPS on? Where are we going? How are we supposed to get there? We want to know these things, but it is not for you to know the determined path that Jesus is going to set your feet on when you follow him. He may take you to be a research scientist to cure cancer. He may have you in a family leading it with mental health in the midst of you, raising children who are struggling with abandonment issues. You don't know what path Jesus is going to put you on. But you do know this. You can trust him. You can get to know him. And you can rely on him to lead you to where you're going to wind up. You can trust him for that. And I I hope you do. I want to say that Jesus said, everything in your room is ready. And there's plenty of room in my father's home. There's nothing wrong with the rooms, but I've got to go prepare something. So what was the something? That's what I asked the Lord. What's the something? The something is that you can't get there. Hear me say that again. You can't get there. That broke my heart. I hung on that and the agony that Jesus felt. He couldn't take his friends there now but he was gonna make a way for them to follow him later. I love the promise that he's making to us. I can't get there now, but I gotta go, leave you so I can die so I can crush the enemy. I can break the back of Satan. I have to rise in victory. And I'm telling you, I'm going to the Father. I'm going to the house that is made for you to enter in. I am making a way for you to get there, to the Father, to reunite You with the person that I love so much. He is going to be having a glorified body. I have to go do this work of the cross, of the crucifixion. I've gotta go do this right now, and you can't come with me. But later, you will know the way to get there. He became the way for you and I. I love the fact that he promised I'm coming back to get you. I'm coming back to get you so that you can be with me wherever I go. Hang on that. You will be with him wherever he goes. When he returns, he promises to return to you. And what Jesus says he will do. He is the very presence of the Father in the person of the Son, he is the divine image and the reflection and the radiance and the glory of the Father. And He desires for you to walk the path that He has chosen for you, trusting Him, knowing Him, believing Him, that you can be reunited with the Father, who couldn't even look on His Son hanging on that cross. He couldn't look at Him because of the sin. My sin, your sin, weighing on him. I'm telling you today, Jesus, he says he is the way, the truth, and the life. He's the only way to the Father, and he desires to take all of us home to be with him. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you, and I praise you, Lord, that you have done the work of the cross. You did the heavy lifting for me, and I can't thank you enough, Jesus. I cannot thank you, Lord, enough for you placing so much value on me and on us, that you made a way where there was no way. You went to the cross and you rose from the dead. You delight in your people, Lord, you know our cares and our worries and lord you still trust us to walk the journey that you have called us to and we don't even know what that looks like i thank you and i praise you lord for the women that have come this morning and have sealed the deal on the i am statements lord i thank you that something's been stirred up this morning somewhere somebody heard something that said I want to pray this through. I want to lean into that. Lord, I thank you for that. I thank you for stirring something up in us. I thank you that that resurrection life is meaningful to us as we journey closer to Easter and understand better the journey to the cross today. I thank you and I praise you, Lord, for those who are making decisions now to walk the path of faith to walk the path of forgiveness. And Lord, I thank you for the people who will be available to pray that through with them. The friends they came with, the online button they can push, and Lord, the people that will be available when this last song is sung today. I thank you, and I praise you for your goodness. I thank you that you are the I am who made the way. You are the I am, the path that we walk Oh, Lord, thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you for the reality of it. And thank you that we benefit from it, that we can come home and be with the Father one day when everything is ready. In Jesus' name, amen.